Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. And this past Wednesday, we were talking about a few things, but one of the main focuses is that we want to be in pursuit of the authentic. We don't want to just be going after the things of this earth, which we're going to talk about here in a moment. There are some things that we need to be pursuing. But we want to be going after the authentic power of God, the authentic truth of God. We want to be walking in accordance with his will for our lives. And we have to be aware that when we're doing this, that we are actually pursuing what God has for us for eternity. That we are not just here for a short amount of time and that's it. That we are living for eternity. That we've been created for eternity. That God has put inside of us a spirit that is going to continue on throughout time. And it's so important for us to remember this because if we're being honest here today, so often we get distracted by the here and the now, by the situations that we're facing, by the obstacles in front of us. Thankfully, we just told them all to move. But we get distracted at times by all of these things and we lose sight of the fact that we are not just here for now, but we are here to build for eternity. God has placed us here on this earth and he has orchestrated it in such a way that we would live our lives on earth in preparation for eternity, keeping that very truth in our minds. It's such an important thing for us to remember and we have to really be thinking about this, but There's this quote that I want to read that's kind of contrary, and I'm going to explain it first in a second. It's by Oliver Wendell Holmes. He said that some people are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. Now, I just want to say for a minute, I don't know if this is possible to be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good, because if you're truly focused on heaven, if you're truly understanding why you're here, You're going to be the best good that the earth has ever experienced. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 18 says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We are meant to be focused on eternity, on the eternal purposes of God. But I also can acknowledge what this quote is saying here today, that you can be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good, because at times the church has kind of looked at the next stage, the next part of this journey in entering into heaven as all that there was, that we're just living on this earth, biding time until we get to heaven. It's almost as if at times we've had this thought that our tickets are already purchased that we're just kind of waiting to board the plane on the way out of here. And because of this, unfortunately, there have been vacancies left in our world, in our culture, in the places of influence, and there have been agendas and ideologies and individuals who were more than happy to step into those places that the church had vacated. We are not called to vacate positions of authority. We are called to step into our God-given identities 
the purpose that he has given us with a view of eternity, and that view of eternity is supposed to point us back to the here and the now and what it is that we're called to do. If we're truly aware of eternity, we are also aware of the fact that there is a heaven and there is a hell. That Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light, and no man comes to the Father except through me. That's the truth that we have. But there's also a truth that there are a lot of people in this world who don't know that truth. And there is a hell. And if we are aware of eternity, then our hearts need to be positioned in such a way that we desire to pursue those who don't know Jesus to snatch them away from hell and to bring them into the kingdom of heaven. But this can only happen when we have a view, a healthy view of eternity. See, there's a tension that exists at times between living in the here and now and living for eternity. And we're going to speak about a story in just a moment that speaks to this perfectly. But the first thing I want to say here today in regards to this is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 311. It says that he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. It also says that even with this, we don't fully understand what he's doing from the beginning to the end. But he has placed eternity in our hearts. No matter who we are, no matter where we've come from, no matter what we've gone through, whether we're in church this morning or those who are outside doing their own thing, there is a truth that exists inside of us because we have been created for eternity. It's part of our DNA. It's built into who we are. And we have to acknowledge it. So we were built for eternity, but as we said, we have to be effective right now. See, James chapter 2 verses 14 through 16 speaks to this very well. James says, faith without good deeds or without works is dead. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? That's a powerful statement. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? We're living for eternity, understanding that what we do now matters. What we believe for right now matters. What we contend for right now on this earth, it matters. Not just for now, but for eternity. See, of course, Jesus was the perfect example of this of what it means to live for now and for eternity. The Gospels are filled with stories, Matthew eight sixteen. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. Time and time again, they brought him before him, and he healed their sick, and he healed them there, and he healed them, and he healed them all. Time and time again, Jesus healed those who came before him because he knew he was positioned for eternity, but there was something to be done here and now that was going to affect the heart of man to be changed and to be influenced by the kingdom 
to be brought into eternity. We're starting to talk about this a lot, and it's by design. We're going after the power of God in this church. We are absolutely in pursuit of the authority that comes from knowing who we are in Christ. And when we walk in this power and authority, and we bring the answer of heaven to earth, we start to change the hearts of man to be focused, not just on what's going on here and now, but on their eternal future. And it's not just a luxury. It's a responsibility that we have. It's a responsibility that God has made clear to each one of us through salvation, through the person of Jesus, and the example that Jesus left us here. The sick came to him, and he healed them all. So right now we're going to look at this story found in John chapter 11. And we're speaking about Jesus and the life of Jesus and how everything that he did was in focus of eternity. His actions, his words, even when it didn't make sense to the people around him, which if we're honest, was a lot of times. Sometimes even when we're reading it, we're like, hey, that doesn't really make sense to me. That doesn't really match up with the way that I would do it. And this story points to that a few times. So John chapter 11 starts off by telling us, Now a certain man was ill. It was Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. Verse 3 says, So the two sisters, Mary and Martha, sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So we have to unpack this a little bit. First of all, there is a great need. There is a great need. Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, whom he loves, is sick. And he must be really sick because they're sending for him. So they send a messenger out to Jesus because Mary and Martha know that he is the only one to reach out to. That Jesus is the answer for the problem that they're facing. But Jesus doesn't respond in the way that we would expect him to, or likely in the way that they would expect him to. And this is just an indication of the way that Jesus viewed situations and problems. Lazarus is sick, but he's not looking at the moment, he's looking at it through the lens of eternity. He said, Lazarus is not, this is not going to end up in death, but it's going to produce glory for God. See, Jesus had a different perspective. He knew who he was. He knew that he was walking in accordance with God's will. And he knew that no matter what, he was going to see the result that God had ordained. He was looking beyond the circumstances. But we also have to look at the perspective of Mary and Martha. They send for Jesus, the one that they know who can bring the answer, The messenger takes probably two or three days to get out to where he was. He answers and says, basically, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. 
The messenger takes two or three days to get back, and he relays this message to them. What are they thinking in that moment? Jesus, we sent for you. Not only are you not coming back right now, you said don't worry about it. And what we have to understand is that likely by this point, by the time that the messenger got back to where they were, Lazarus was probably already dead. How would they have received these words when the situation they were facing was in direct contradiction to what Jesus had said? What would our response be in that moment when we sent for Jesus, the one who we knew who could bring the healing, and he said, don't worry about it, and the exact thing that we were afraid of happened? The exact opposite of what we were praying for and believing for, that's what happened. Maybe there would be anger. Maybe there would be sadness or confusion. But I know if I was in that position, it probably wouldn't have been something that I responded to with great faith. How do we look at our circumstances? How do we view the things that are standing in front of us? Is it through the lens of the here and now? Or is it with the viewpoint of eternity? Knowing that God knows the beginning from the end. Then we get to verses 5 and 6, and we see this puzzling statement. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So when they sent for him, he didn't come. He stayed two days longer. Sometimes we just don't understand. His ways are higher than our ways. His timing is better than our timing. Everything that he does has a purpose. But sometimes, even though we know Jesus loves us, it doesn't always work the way that we think that it's going to work. And in that moment, we have a decision to make. Are we going to choose to go deeper into the love of Jesus? Into the truth of who he is? Are we going to trust that, yes, he does love me? Or are we going to run to other things for comfort? see, too many times we go for the second option. We go for the natural conclusion, which is we got to do something to make it hurt less. Or we come up with our own theology as to why it didn't work the way that we thought that it should. And then we live our lives based off of that theology. And even worse, we tell it to other people. And so we represent a gospel that Jesus didn't preach And we wonder why sometimes we end up in a place where we are right now, where we don't see the power of God at work as often as it should be. So we continue to read here in verses 7 through 10. He waits the two days and he says, finally, he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. And there's this interesting subplot here 
that I would skip over, but it continues to speak to this theme of eternity. They said, Rabbi, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you really going to go there again? Jesus replies to them in a way that he always does. He says one thing and it means that, but it means more. There are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can be seen or they can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. He was speaking to himself as the light. He was speaking to our need for him as the light. But he was also saying this. The light shines during the day, during the time that God has ordained for it to shine. And no man could take even a minute away from it. So there may be individuals there who are waiting to stone me when I get back, but I'm not worried about them because I'm operating on God's timing through the lens of eternity. This really reiterates what he said in John chapter 10, verse 18. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay my life down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it back up again. This charge I have received from my father. Are we willing to, in the situations where the timing isn't working out the way that we would expect it to work out, to say, Jesus, you have a better picture. That time works for you. That God has the ability to redeem time. That he has the ability to take every circumstance in this life and to use it for his purpose. Sometimes we feel like we're just falling behind, like we're not where we should be. And we look around and we look at the lives of other people and we question why we haven't got to the place that we expected. And we get discouraged. And we start to take our eyes off of the one who created time itself. Verse 11, then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I'm going to go wake him up. There could be no question that he waited the time that he did for Lazarus to fall asleep, or in other words, to make sure that Lazarus was going to be good and dead by the time that he arrived on the scene. If he was there, he would have healed him. But he took his time. So Lazarus is asleep, and so the disciples don't understand. And they said, uh, you know, what, if he's sleeping, he's just going to wake up. It's going to be okay. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad that I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. And Jesus loved Mary and Martha, and Lazarus. But I'm glad that I wasn't there, he says. Sometimes we need to look at the circumstances a little bit differently. The circumstances don't mean that Jesus doesn't love us. But the circumstances have to be subservient to the plan of God. And we have an ability in that situation to submit to what he is saying in the midst of it and to allow him to prepare us for the future 
and for the eternity that we don't understand and we can't see. For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. And then Thomas, nicknamed the twins, said to his fellow disciples, well, let's go too and die with Jesus. Or maybe he said, let's go too and die with Jesus. I don't know how he was responding in this moment. But there was some faith in it, on some level, I think. Even though all the disciples would scatter away from Jesus when it really mattered, at this point he's like, all right, Jesus, if you're going, we're going too. Whatever happens, happens. We're, we're with you. You see, Jesus will never miss an opportunity to show us who he really is. But my goodness, that does not mean that it's going to be comfortable. He never misses an opportunity to use what we give him. But he never promises to make it feel good along the way. See, that's tough for us to hear sometimes. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the one who mourns with us. He tells us in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus is present even when it's difficult and even when we don't understand. But it would be unbiblical to suggest that there aren't going to be times where it hurts, it doesn't make sense, and it's really uncomfortable. We look throughout history and we see the persecution and the martyrdom. We see that the individuals that he's speaking to here, many of them would be killed for their faith. He tells them that in John 16, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take care because I have overcome the world. You see, I don't say these things to be a downer in any way, but we don't know what comes next in this life. We don't know what the situations of this world are going to look like next year, next decade, in the time in between. We don't know. But God does. But God's aware of all of it. It doesn't mean that things are going to be comfortable and feel good all the time, but it does mean that he is present with us in the midst of the situations. He walks with us, he empowers us, he equips us, and he gives us what we need to be able to move forward into it, no matter how bad it might be or prayerfully good that it might be. I'm not hoping for bad things, but we better be prepared when God is preparing us, knowing that he sees eternity and we don't. We continue to move on in verses 17 through 22. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. So the messenger went two days or three days, came back. Jesus stayed two extra days. By the time he gets back, Lazarus had been dead for four days. It says that many people came from the town to console Martha and Mary in their loss. And when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. Mary stayed in the house, but Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But then she says this statement in verse 22. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Martha gets kind of a, a bad rap when we look at the story in Luke 10 and she's concerned about many things and Mary's doing the right thing by sitting at the feet of Jesus. But this statement, her brother's been dead for four days and she says, Jesus, if you were here, he would be healed. She's probably right. But even now, God is going to give you whatever you ask for. See, she's standing in faith, even in spite of the fact that she got the message back that Jesus said, don't worry about it. Maybe those words were very puzzling to her, or maybe she was standing on them. This will not end in death. But we have to acknowledge as well that there probably was this internal conflict going on during that situation, waiting for Jesus, not knowing what it was going to look like. But yet she continues to speak to Jesus, and Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And she says, yes. But then she kind of hedges a little bit. She says, he's going to rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? That was just as much for our benefit as it was for hers. Everyone who believes in me will live and not die. They will have eternal life through Jesus and through Jesus alone. But she's still in this place of questioning a little bit. I know he can. I know Lazarus will rise again in the last day. But what about now? You see, this is an invitation that Jesus gives to Martha to partner with heaven and to view things from the lens of eternity. You see, she's wrestling between this present reality and an eternal one. And that's often where we find ourselves. This is what things look like. This is how things feel. This is what I've been told. But this is what God says. Whose report will you believe? I will believe the report of the Lord. So he says, Martha, do you believe? Verse 27, she says, yes, Lord, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. An awesome statement of faith. It says, then she returned to Mary and she called Mary. And so Mary came to come find Jesus. And many followed her. And when Mary arrived, she saw Jesus and she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, this is a similar experience between Mary and Martha. But we have to notice something else in the text. Jesus comes back after waiting the extra time to make sure Lazarus has died. And yet when he gets into town, he doesn't come to the home of Mary and Martha. He doesn't come to them to console them and to, to make them feel better. And there's a couple of reasons for this. Commentators would say maybe that where he was on the outskirts of town, that that's where the funeral place was. That's where the burial was. 
And Jesus knew that he had a purpose and he wasn't going to mess around going someplace else that he wanted to go straight to his mission to speak to Lazarus. But in reading this and in how Jesus calls out to Mary and calls out to Martha, I, I feel like there has to be more to it. And that what Jesus is doing is that he is inviting Mary and Martha to come out of the situation that they're in, to come out of the familiar place of mourning, to come out from the people around them who are mourning with them, to come and to see him face to face. You see, there are times where we get so embroiled in the situation that we're in that all we can see is the circumstances and the things that we're facing. And Jesus is calling us to come out of those places, to come out of the emotion, to come out of the fear, to come out of the hurt, and to find him in the midst of the pain and the experience that we're facing. For Mary and Martha both. They said, Jesus, I know that you could have done this. But in spending time with Jesus, their faith starts to build. He gives them this opportunity to disconnect from the perceived reality, to partner together with his reality. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. There was a righteous anger that came up inside of him because of what sin had been able to accomplish on this earth. There was a righteous anger that came up inside of him because of what Satan had stolen. And it says that he got deeply emotional. It says that he was deeply troubled. He said, where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Jesus knew what the outcome was going to be. From the very beginning of the situation, from even before the messenger came and told him, Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. He knew what the outcome was going to be. And yet he still felt the deep sympathy and compassion for those who were mourning. He knew that it wasn't right. That we were never meant to end in death. That sin came and it distorted God's plan. He knew he was coming to restore it. But even in the midst of it, he had compassion. In the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of the things that we're talking about right now, we want to walk in great faith. We want to expect what he is speaking. We want to be willing to trust even when it doesn't make sense. But we can also stop for a moment and realize that he is with us, that he loves us. And even when we don't have the answers that we want or are looking for at that moment, that he's with us and he's standing with us and he loves us. We have to know that there are these multiple facets in the midst of these circumstances. He calls us to great faith, but he's the one that equips us and empowers us to walk in that great faith. It's not meant to be in our own ability. So he says to them, where is he? And they, they tell him. It says he weeps. And then the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. 
But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? There's always detractors. There's always the ones who will ask the questions of, well, why didn't this happen? There's always going to be the other voices that are present in our lives. Are we able to, are we willing to, to tune into what God is saying in the midst of it? Are we willing to shut down the other voices that we don't need to be listening to? Verse 38 says, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Once again, there's this conflict going on with Martha. She's, she wants to believe. She knows who he is, but, but she also recognizes the situation that's in front of them. She says, it's going to smell terrible. Can I tell you that at times the situation that we are in is going to smell terrible? It's going to be appearing to be decomposed and broken down and like it's not going to be coming back to life. That There's nothing that can be done. But God has the ability to speak into those places and to speak life into the broken places and to restore what he has spoken. It says in verse 43, well, in verse 40, he says, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Look at the kingdom reality. Didn't I tell you that you would receive what I have promised if you believe? Verse 41, so they rolled the stone aside and then Jesus looked up to heaven and he said this, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. He didn't need to say it out loud, but he was speaking for their benefit. God, I know that you hear me and you always hear me. Can we say that here this morning? God, I know that you hear me. I know that you hear me. I know you're not turning a deaf ear to me. I know that you see where I am. I know that you know what I'm going through. Because he does. And then we can do what Jesus did. He speaks to the situation. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. To the situations that we're facing in our lives, to the things that we're going through, to the places that we haven't been able to understand or comprehend or make sense out of, Can we join together and partner with what God is saying over our situations? Can we partner together with heaven, with the view of eternity, that God is working all of these things together as only he can to prepare us and to equip us for a lifetime that we know very little about? And that God doesn't just care about eternity, but because he is eternity, He cares about our present. I want to ask if the worship team would come up this morning. Those words that we were singing during worship, speaking about the fact that Jesus has never lost the battle. Jesus healed all who came before him. 
Jesus brought the answer to every situation. I feel very strongly that there are some places in our lives right now, not just circumstances that we're facing in the present, but places where we feel that there have been promises that we were standing on and believing for that did not come to pass. Places where we feel the brokenness and the grieving of the things that we've lost or even the people that we've lost. We have to acknowledge that there are times where the situations that we are pressing in for, they do not always end the way that we expect that they're going to. The things that we've believed for, there have been times where we haven't received that answer. What I truly believe here today is that even in those places, Jesus is desiring for us to come out of those places to him, to see him with clarity, and to trust that even in the places that have been broken, even in the places where there has been pain and despair, in the places that we haven't been able to understand, that he's still present. That his word is still the truth. And that we can step into a place of further trust and reliance on him. That we can invite the Holy Spirit into those places to bring the grace that we need, to bring the healing that we need, to be able to bring the restoration that we desperately need in those places. To know that he is equipping us for eternity. To know that he is empowering us to walk through these situations. To bring others into a realization of who he is. To invite them into an eternity with Jesus. I'm not saying that it's an easy thing. But I'm saying that the reason that this story exists for us to see and to read is to believe in who he is. Will we take our eyes off the circumstances and put them onto him today? Will we allow him to expand our expectation to know that he is doing something in our lives? Personalize it here today. Make it your own. Jesus, I just pray this morning that for every person in this room, for every person watching online, that in those places where there has been brokenness, in those places where there has been pain, in those places where there has been a disconnection seemingly from your grace and from your mercy and from your love, that Jesus, that you would come into those places right now and that you would heal our hearts, that you would mend the broken places, that you would address the thoughts that are not in alignment with your truth, that as we look to you and as we understand who you are, Jesus, that we would speak to the situations in our lives and we would say, in the name of Jesus, life, come back into those places. In the name of Jesus, those places that have been broken. In those places that the enemy has come to bring disruption. 
that Jesus, that you would build it back together as only you could. And that our faith, that our faith that you have given to us, that you have invested in us, would come to the forefront in every area that we would expect to see you at work in our lives. You said, speak to the mountains and they'll move. They'll be cast into the sea. So right now we speak to any mountains that are standing between us and your promises. We speak to the situations. We speak to the places of pain and we tell you that you must go in the name of Jesus. We tell you that you cannot stay any longer. We come out of agreement with you in the name of Jesus. And we choose to place our trust in the words that you have spoken and who you are in Jesus' name.